Uh, last Sunday, we uh, ended up with two questions, all right? Uh, what are you going to leave behind in the year 2012? And many of you indicated even publicly last week that there was some stuff in your life that would just be better left in the old year. But then the second question we ask is, what will you pursue in the new year? And I, I love that word, the word pursue. That's a great word. And I want you to be thinking about that as we talk today. Now let me give you some synonyms of the word pursue, all right? Uh, the word chase. You're chasing after something. The word hunt. The word track. You're tracking something down. Even one synonym listed in, in many books is, is the word to stalk. I mean, you, you become a stalker. You're so obsessed. You're so desiring this that you just will not let go of it. Now, we've all seen people who pursued things. Maybe they pursued a career, or maybe they pursued a degree, or maybe they pursued a relationship, and you just watched them and you saw, man, they are just obsessed with making this happen. And I've been trying to think over the last week, when have I seen someone just really pursue something? I mean, I'm almost obsessed about it. And I thought about something that happened around this church. You can see their picture, Nathan and Jennifer Capps. Any of you guys here about 10 years ago? Okay. Anybody remember when Nathan decided to pursue Jennifer? Here's this lovely girl up here right now, Jennifer Clark. And, I mean, this guy decided he had to have Jennifer Clark. Everybody, y'all remember that? And um, started about 10 years ago this month. At the Gulf Coast Getaway, Jennifer was a freshman at the University of Alabama. Nathan was here. He had had his eyes on her for a while. Walked up to her very awkwardly at the getaway and asked her on a date. All she did was turn to her friend and say, did he just ask me out? I don't even know him. And so she's a little bit wondering what's going on. Now, she had given him some hope because in a group meeting, she had hugged him. And he would doll his boyfriends and said, she hugged me today. And his boyfriend said, she hugged us too. <laughs> but he, he saw it as a sign, but nothing happened there. And then for the next six months, man, he, he pursued her. He bribed one of the church secretaries for her email address. He got her email address. She didn't have a cell phone, but he got her friend's cell phone numbers to Tuscaloosa. And he started calling them. And he asked them to put Jennifer on the phone. And then he started emailing her. He started calling, you know, and asking her out over and over again. And finally, about six months later, she relented and said, Okay, Nathan, I'll go out with you. And then she made her big mistake. She fell in love with him. Right? She falls in love with him, and they end up getting married. It's a great pursuit. If ever I've seen somebody just say, Man, I, I'm after something. If you know Nathan, that's just sort of the way he is, man. It was like white on rice. I mean, he was there. And now, Jennifer, just think how blessed your life has been. About eight years ago, they got married. And you see that kind of pursuit. And when I ask you, are, are you pursuing God? I'm asking, do you have that kind of intensity? I mean, are we pursuing God with everything we have? You pursued something in your life, I guarantee you. Maybe it was a sport, maybe it was a position, maybe it was a degree, maybe it was a career, maybe it was a promotion, it was a person, you pursued them. And the question this morning is, are we pursuing God? So here's our two questions for today. Are you pursuing God? And our second question that might be a little bit easier to answer is, is God pursuing you? 
Now let me be honest with you. I can't answer the first question for you. I don't know, only you know whether you're pursuing God or not. But here's what I can do for you this morning. I can't answer that second question. Is God pursuing you? And the answer is absolutely yes. And that might be something that surprises you about God. That God is actually the one who begins the pursuit. Uh, The title of our message this morning is God's Hot Pursuit. And and this month we're going to be talking about God's pursuit of people. And you see all these flags up here in the form of a cross. We're, We're leading up to Mission Sunday. And what I want to remind you is not only is God pursuing you, but God is inviting you to join Him in the pursuit of people. And so let's go back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning when this hot pursuit begins. It it, it starts in the most beautiful places. The Garden of Eden. The perfect paradise. But it starts on the darkest of days. For on that day, Adam and Eve have decided to eat of the forbidden fruit. It's an interesting name. I've, I've tried to get a handle on this for years. They eat of the fruit... Of good and evil. What, what does that mean? The fruit of good and evil. There, there seems to be two primary interpretations of that. One is that good and evil just um, are an explanation of extremes. So like if I said, I'm going to pursue something to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. I'm going in every direction. So one idea is, what he's saying is, you know, if you eat of this tree, then you have complete knowledge from beginning to end. The other idea about this is that when he says good and evil, he's meaning you, you have this, you eat of this fruit, and you know, you'll know what's good for you and what's, what's bad for you. You'll, you'll be like God in that you'll be able to determine what's good and bad. Now, it really doesn't matter which interpretation you go with. What they both do is they say that God is obsolete. What they say is that God is unnecessary because once you've eaten this fruit, you don't need God because you know everything. Or you're able to determine everything on your own. And so they eat of that fruit. Now look at Genesis 3 verse 7 and see then what happens. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and that they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It appears that God has a daily time where he walks among the garden at the end of the day. And at this point, though, everything's different. They have sinned. They have been exposed. They are naked. They have lost their innocence. Everything's changed. And so when they hear God rustling among the leaves, as the Spirit walks through the garden, they do the most natural thing. They go and they hide. And then we see what I consider actually a little bit of a a humorous verse, uh, verse 9. But the Lord God called the man and said, Where are you? Now, do you really think God didn't know where they were? Do you really think God didn't have a clue of, of, of where to find them? No. I mean, you ever played hide-and-seek with a little bitty child? Or maybe they would hide somewhere very obvious, but you would pretend you couldn't see them, and you'd go all around going, where is she? I can't find her. And you'd look above her, you'd look below her, you'd look on the other side. I picture that almost God here. God, God knows exactly where they are. But God is wanting Adam and Eve to know that He is calling for them. 
that he wants to speak for them. And so God says, where are you? Now write this down if you're taking note. Here, here's the point. is not only did man run from God, but now God pursues man. You know, we know the sentence for their sin was death. And, and so God has every right at this point just to obliterate them. Or, or just to leave them separated. Or just to boot them out of the garden and have no interaction with them. He could have just immediately killed them. But that's not what he did. He goes to the garden and he calls for them. And then look at verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Isn't that pretty natural? When you sin, you're exposed and you hide and you're afraid to encounter God. What's he going to do? And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, God knows the answer to all these questions. But God wants the man to think this thing through. The man said, oh, listen to this one. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Talking about the blame game. Guys, the blame game starts right at the beginning. Adam says to God, you know what? It's this woman that caused this. She gave it to me. It's her fault. And, and really, if you read a little closely, he's not just blaming the woman. He's actually a little bit perturbed with God. It's this woman that you, God, you gave me. If you hadn't given her to me, if you had left it just, just me alone, this would have never happened. So the blame game begins. It continues with, with Eve. And the Lord God said to the woman, "Who? what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she blamed Satan. And then if you keep reading the story, then God announces the consequences of their fall. There's always consequences to sin. For the snake, he will crawl on his belly and he will eat the dust. The dust. The dust will be even bigger. He will eat the dust, all right? For the woman, she will now have pain in childbearing, and she will be ruled over by her husband. For the man, work will become a painful thing because the earth will be full of thorns and thistles. So God says there are some consequences. There's some punishment to what you've done. You're getting kicked out of the garden, and this is the way life's going to be after the fall. But don't miss this in this story. Because if you're not careful, you only will see this story as a story of God's justice. But I tell you, if you will look closely, you will also see a hint of God's grace. You see, the surprise of this story is not that God punished them. The surprise of this story is that God did not destroy them. And let me show you a couple, a couple of things in the story. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. You know, Adam and Eve had made a feeble attempt to cover up their shame with these fig leaves. But God, in just an act of graciousness, says, guys, let me give you, I, I, let me give you some good clothes. Let, let me go ahead and 
take these animals and take the skin from them and, and, and let me clothe you in a, in a way that will protect you and that will conceal your shame, that will allow you to feel better about what's going on. It's very symbolic here that God would clothe man. If you read the New Testament, one of the most awesome things that happens when we're saved is that we are clothed with Christ. And so right here at the beginning, we see a hint of that is God takes the time to graciously, despite the fact they've sinned, despite the fact they've lost their place in the Garden of Eden, God takes the time to clothe them. And then in one of the great verses of all the Bible, even back in this horrible, dark story, we see when God speaks to Satan, verse 15, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's interesting, isn't it? That's the first prophecy of Jesus. You say, what does that have to do with Jesus? But what he's saying to Satan is, you're, you're going to go after him, no doubt about that. And you're going to strike his heel. Uh, how does he strike his heel? He has him crucified. But Jesus is going to crush Satan's head. How does that happen? The resurrection changes everything. So even back here in the beginning, in the dark moment in the Garden of Eden, where the gates are locked and the men and women are kicked out, God says right here, I'm going to promise you a Savior. Right, right here from the beginning, there's something better coming. Hang on. God promises a Savior. Now here's what I want you to see. The pursuit continues. It's a relentless pursuit. I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament, I get a little frustrated. I get frustrated because the people just keep on falling off the cliff. I mean, you hardly see one generation followed by another generation that follows God. And you think, even as the Bible will say, how can these people be so stiff-necked and so rebellious? But really, if you read the Old Testament closer... It's not so amazing how stiff-necked and rebellious they are because we're sort of that way ourselves, aren't we? What's really amazing is how relentless God chases them. How God pursues them. Let me just show you some of the language of the Old Testament. It might, might even make you a little bit uncomfortable the way that God feels about His people. Let's go first of all to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He's speaking to His prophet. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. I don't want you to be afraid of me. You might, res you might expect my response to simply be a response of, of absolute cruel justice. But even at the beginning, my response involved grace. Do not fear me, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. What did God say? Man, I am just like I did with Adam and Eve. I'm calling out to you. You may be in darkness rebellion. I am summoning you to myself. Look at the prophet Jeremiah who says to his people that have fallen, Jeremiah 31 verse 3, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I said, there's anything consistent about God is that God loves you. He loves me. He draws us. Oh, does he make us? Absolutely not. He draws us with his love. And then you even go to the Song of Solomon. A book you might not even want your teenagers to read. And you go to the Song of Solomon, and God now uses a love language, a romantic language, to describe His love for His people. 
Look at chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved spoke, that's God, and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Now, can I ask you, can, can you picture God saying that to you? Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come to me. Most of us men are probably even a little uncomfortable with that kind of language. But God is so desirous of this relationship with us. He's so desirous of a friendship, of a fellowship, that God says, please come. I yearn for you. My darling, please listen to my voice. And then we get to a most outlandish scene. God has used words, but words don't seem to be working. And so finally God says, okay, they're not listening to my words. I put it as romantically as I can. They still don't listen. Let me play it out in front of them. Let me give them a a live parable. And so God calls the prophet Hosea to live it out in front of them. He says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman. I want you to go and marry an adulteress. And as you marry her, she continues to, to commit adultery. She continues to be unfaithful. Here's a picture of my love for my people. Here's God in, in Hosea who continues to pursue her, to chase her. Here is God's people in the form of this woman named Gomer, you know, who continues to sin and commit adultery. And yet in this, in this played out picture, God says, I want the people to see how much I love them. I want them to see it vividly. Look at some of the words that Hosea uses representing God. Chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. You've got to be kidding me. That's what God's like? We're the adulterers, we're the rebellious. He continues to pursue. He he allures us. He tries to win us back. It's crazy. Listen to me. God pursues you. And then we get to the New Testament and the pursuit climaxes. Look at Matthew 1 verse 23. Finally, God does the most amazing thing. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God finally continues the pursuit. He's not just doing it through the words of the prophets. He's not even doing it just through the play acting of Hosea and Gomer. Now he's coming himself. And he comes in the form of a baby and a teenage girl in the middle of Palestine. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Listen to me, guys. That's why Christmas is worth celebrating. Not because it's just a sweet holiday, but because it means so much. It's a part of God's pursuit of us. And then the climax continues. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he is going to die. Guys, listen to me. This is a long, crazy, romantic love relationship of God pursuing man, and man coming to God, and then chasing and running away from God, and God coming back, and man rebelling again. And all through history, I mean, God does all kinds of things trying to win God back. Back in the garden in that dark, dark day, God comes and calls their name. He clothes them. He tells them He's going to give a Savior. 
I mean, keep reading. At some point, God tries to get man's attention by flooding the entire earth and saying, would you guys please know that I want this relationship with you? At another point, a woman turns around at the wrong time, and God turns her to salt. What's God doing? He's trying to get people's attention. He's trying to say, would you notice that I'm here? At another point, God has his people walk through the Red Sea on dry ground and then swallow up the Egyptian army. At another point in history, God goes to the, to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and it quakes and it's foggy and it's incredible. And God says, let me give you some rules to live by that will bless your life. And he gives the Ten Commandments. And you keep on and on and on. God speaks to the prophets. At one time, God is so whacked out in what he does is God speaks to a donkey. What is all this about? It's God's pursuit of man. It's God doing all these wild and crazy things saying, would you guys please slow down a minute? Would you look at me? Would you love me back? I love you this much. And finally, the final curtain is torn back and the curtain comes open. And the last act, God is on a cross dying for our sins. And God says to you and me, if that won't get your attention. I don't have anything else to do. I pulled everything I've got in my pocket out. I've tried every trick to get your attention. But in the long run, if, if the cross of Jesus won't get your attention, then you are hopeless. And God pursues us on and on and on. It's an incredible story. And what I want you to see this morning is we've just sort of gone through Scripture rather quickly. I hope it's proven to you that God is pursuing you. You say, well, buddy, that's all about what God did. Listen to me. When you read the Bible, don't read the Bible as a history of what God did. That's not what it's meant to. It it is meant to be a history of what God does. He pursues people. He's after them. And guys, I want to say this to you this morning, this first Sunday of the year 2013. I'll guarantee you this, God is pursuing you. Maybe it's through these words right now. Maybe it's through the praise that we sing in just a few moments. Maybe it's through some people in your life that live for Jesus in front of you. Maybe it's through some trials of life that have shook you up. Maybe it's through an incredible blessing that you don't, you know you don't deserve. Maybe God is prompting you. Maybe you didn't even expect to come to church this morning, but somehow you woke up and you came to this building. I don't know, but I'm telling you this. I'll guarantee you that God is pursuing you. I want you to know that. That's a big difference the way I grew up. I grew up understanding God, man, he was aloof. I mean, he sat back. Not only did he not pursue me, but he looked for reasons to condemn me. And if I didn't get everything right, if I didn't jump through the right hoop, if I didn't say the quite right words, you know, if I didn't obey perfectly, if I blew it over here in my life, God wasn't pursuing me. God was looking for a reason to condemn me. Anybody else grow up that way? And yet you read scripture, it's a God that is pursuing us. It's not this arrogant, aloof God that says, well, you know, if if you really want me, then you come after me. And if you do everything perfectly, I might allow you to be in my presence. You ever known an arrogant person, you know, someone sort of, you know, just sort of uh, too full of themselves? It's like, you know what, Uh, if people want me, they pursue me. I'll never forget a few months ago saying to a kid that I was trying to disciple, I said, you need to start making some phone calls for somebody, from people in our group. You need to start calling them and asking them to come and be there. And he said to me, he said, Buddy, I don't call people. People call me. I wanted to throw up right on the spot. That was the wrong words to say to this preacher, all right? 
I mean, I let him have it. You don't live life that way. That's not even the way God is. God pursues people. We pursue people. That's what it's about. And here's what you've got to understand. Before you ever start pursuing people, you need to understand that God is chasing after you. That God is tracking you down. Now you've got free will and you can turn him down and you can keep running from him and you can never surrender your life to him. But let me tell you this, God will never stop pursuing you. Now let me ask this question. I don't have an answer up here, but you, you see it in, in your outline. There's just a box there. Maybe you just will write something down. Can I ask you this question? Why is God pursuing you? I, mean, I think the fact is pretty evident that God is pursuing you. Why? I mean, you, you, give, you, give me your best answer. I mean, write it down. What, what? You said, what, what? Is he pursuing you because you're perfect? Is he pursuing you because you got it all together? Is he pursuing you because you've always been obedient? Is he pursuing you because you're so beautiful? Is he pursuing you because you're so smart? I mean, why is God pursuing you? What would you put there? You deserve it? No, we know the answer, don't we? I think we do. There's only one legitimate answer, isn't there? I mean, it really doesn't make sense. It's really not justice. It's really not fair. We don't deserve it. I mean, God's pursuing you. He's pursuing me because he loves us. What other explanation is there? How do you explain the cross? He wanted to do it. He enjoyed doing it. He did it for kicks. Oh, no. 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 He loves you. Do you want to know that this morning? There's, there's nothing else to be more important for you to know in this first Sunday of this new year than to know that God loves you. And because of that love, God pursues you. The problem, guys, is so many of us, we just keep on running. We run into our work. We run into our families. We run into our trivial pursuits. We run into our hobbies. We just, I mean, we we come to church and we avoid listening to the message because we're just, we're, it doesn't make any sense if you think about it. Here's someone who loves us this much and I'm running from him. Why do you think so often God says you just need to be still? Because God wants you to be still enough for him to catch you. And not to you to spend some time in stillness contemplating the love of God. We're going to spend a, a moment in praise, just sort of a, a good praise block in a few moments. And maybe what you need to do during that praise block is just, maybe you don't even need to sing. Maybe you just need to think about how much God loves you. Maybe you just need this busy, hectic life, and the holidays had not even really even helped you. you just, you've been going night and nothing. Just stop in this moment and recognize what we're saying today. So here's the question today. Will you pursue God? We, we know the answer to will God pursue you. He's doing it. He's doing it right now. But here's the question that only you can answer. Will you pursue God? I love the attitude of the psalmist who says, My whole being falls hard after you and clings closely to you. Your right hand upholds me. But what's God want? God, God would love for you to pursue him back. Everybody in here, I would guess, you know the pain of pursuing someone and being rejected. 
Maybe someone you had romantic intentions toward and you thought, that's got to be my wife, that's got to be my husband, and you put everything in it, you know. I mean, you tried so hard, and they would never respond. You know the pain of that. Or maybe in your marriage, you know, you wanted to work so badly, even in the, the face of some terrible things, you, you worked so hard, you pursued so consistently, but the long run it fell apart. Or maybe it was a friendship that you wanted so badly, you, you wanted to have this great friendship, and despite the fact you thought, man, we'll be great friends, it just never happened. We all know the pain of that moment, don't we? But don't we also know the joy of the moment when you pursue somebody and they say yes back to you? When you love somebody and they love you back. Could there be anything better than that? Because that's where God is. I mean, God's pursuing you. He's after you. I mean, just in the last 25 minutes, if you've seen the scriptures we've talked about, there's no question about that. The question is, will you pursue him? You know, relationships are interesting things. We have, a, we have an awesome staff here. One of the fun things about working here is we have a, a rather young staff, and, and they all have, most all of them have kids. Just show me some of the pictures of some of the, the, the kids. Up there. You can see the, the, uh, uh, the capped kids, and you can see... Uh, the Corings, and you see down here, Wes and Amanda's children. You see Campbell, the Bagwell's kids. And, and these, these, these are fun kids. And, and, and I don't know what, but it's just something about me. Is, is I, want, uh, I want these kids so badly to love me. And so when they come in the office, I pursue them. All right? Someone said to me the other day, I think Jeremy Bagwell said, you need some grandchildren. And I've got some people here today who can do something about it. All right? But I, I, love, I love, I mean, I, you know, and so, you know, I, I, mean, I can remember years ago, man, me and, um, me and Taylor, we used to play hide and seek all the time in the office. He'd hide under my desk and I'd pretend I didn't know where he was. And we'd have the best time. You know, with the coring boys, you know, I chase after them. They're not running for me. They're just running all the time. Those little heads are always sweaty. You can't get a hold of them. Now, Campbell's my baby now. Campbell will come up to us. She'll come in the office with her mom and dad. She'll come knock on my door. I'll look out there. There she is with her little bow. She'll come in and we'll sit at the, you know, like then we'll talk and have these little conversations, that little rough voice, buddy. And she'll just talk. We, we just have the, we have the best time, you know. And you, you just love these children. But let's go back to the cap story just for a moment, all right? Uh, look at this next picture. The caps had offspring. I don't know if you know that or not. And, and this is Ethan. Now don't let this sweet picture fool you. Ethan can be a, a real handful of candy. And I have pursued that kid from the beginning. And uh, don't tell his parents, but I mean, when I, I will see him, I'll try, and he will run from me. He's kicked me before. I'm sorry. He spit on me. I mean, he, I mean, he does. He does not want anything to do with me. And I, I finally sat him down one day, and I said, "You know, Ethan, I, I have a lot of bad qualities, but probably my best quality is I'm relentless." I mean, I mean, there are a lot of things I'm not good at, but I am persistent. And, and buddy, I'm after you. And I said to him, I shouldn't have said this. I said, I'm like God. I said, my love for you is unconditional. You can kick me. You can spit on me. You can do anything. But one day I'm going to break you down, buddy. One day you are going to love me back. I will guarantee it. And he kicked me and ran off. All right? <laughs> but about a month ago, after 360, 
I walked up to him. I put my arms out. And he put his arms out. And he put his little head up on my shoulder. I could feel that little you know, hair that always sticks up on Nathan, Ethan's head. Just like Nathan. Little head. And he just sort of rubbed against me. And I said, Ethan, I love you. And he said, Mr. Buddy, I love you. That's an awesome moment. You know what I'm saying? And guys, I'm asking you, what is God feeling from you? Is he feeling rejection? I mean, you say, I wouldn't kick him. I wouldn't. Wait, maybe you are. I mean, God thinks about you as you in this relentless pursuit that seems to never end, and you keep running, you keep getting your priorities wrong, you keep going after the wrong things when he's the only thing that matters. I mean, how does God feel? Are you pursuing him? Only you can answer that question. Are you after Him as you start this new year? Is it not time? I mean, how long, much longer are you going to make Him chase you? I mean, I'm telling you, He's relentless. He will not stop. Because He loves you that much. You say, well, buddy, I like God. and I, I, I think Jesus is pretty cool. And I mean, obviously, you know, I come to church. And, uh, you know, my morals are a little bit better than other people I work with. Okay, that's nice. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, are you pursuing God? I didn't ask you if you're a good person. I didn't ask you if you're a church-going people. I didn't ask you if you're just a little bit better. I'm asking you if you just show up in a building two or three times a week. I'm asking you, are you pursuing God? That's what He wants. He wants someone to love Him back. He wants someone to love Him the way He loves them. In just a moment, you're going to have a chance to pursue Him. Maybe today you need to come before the church for prayers and say, you know what, my priorities have been all messed up. I'm ready to pursue God. I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to love Him back. Pray for me. Pray for my heart to change. My heart's been hard. I don't know how it's been. Despite everything God's done for me, I'm just emotionless. I'm numb about it. And we pray for you today. Or maybe like I mentioned a few moments ago, you just need during this period of praise just to stand or sit in stillness and just to to slow down enough for God to catch up with you and for God to speak to you and to tell you of His love. And maybe you just need to rehearse in your mind all these scriptures we've been through today. Don't even sing. Just stand there and let God love on you. Or maybe you need to pursue God in worship. One of the greatest ways that we pursue God is in periods of worship where we lose ourselves and say, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. And now I want to express myself to you in my worship. I ask you, even these next few moments, this great praise block, whether you need to come forward or just stand in stillness or you need just to let it out, not caring what anybody around you thinks about how you're worshiping, you just need to worship. Will you pursue God? I mean, the last book written in the Bible, the last book in the Bible has these words. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. He's standing, he's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. He's pursuing you. He's right at your doorstep right now. Will you pursue Him? He's waiting. He's tired of chasing you. He won't stop. Why don't you love Him back? Why don't you do that right now while we stand in worship?